spins a web any size. Catch the seeds just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to episode 33 of Amazing Spider-Man Classics in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. My name is John Wilson, and this episode we are going to be finishing up our conversation from last episode and covering issue 47 of Amazing Spider-Man. If you hear any strange references to last episode in this one, it's because they were recorded on the same night. And so we kind of thought it was all going to be one show. It just went too long, so it's cut up into two. This episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics is brought to you, as always, by roll to play your online source for games and gaming accessories. Now, I have to tell you about a particular game that I bought from roll to play recently. It is called Munchkin. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you've heard me rave about this game quite a bit. This is a card game that has the trappings of a role-playing game, but it's a lot more silly, easy to learn, and good for all ages, you know, from, say, 9 or 10 up. It's designed by Steve Jackson, and it's good for anywhere from 3 to 6 players. And I have to tell you, if you're the kind of family that likes to sit down to a fun game, this is something you really ought to take a look at. There are several different flavors of the game. There's the core munchkin game. Uh, there's uh, a star munchkin, which is a science fiction based. There's super munchkin, which is superhero based. If you wonder how this could possibly be and still be a role-playing game, you have to kind of take a look at the game to understand. It is available at Roll2Play.com, as well as all the different expansions and different flavors that are available out there. That is Roll2Play, all one word, spelled with the number 2, which you can also search on Facebook if you want to follow them there. This episode, of course, I am joined by Josh Bertoni and Don Grant, and we are rejoined again by Tyler Crone. He is one of the guys I podcast with over at Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast. He also is one of the two guys running from Yellow to Red, a Daredevil podcast, and also one of the company over at Of Mercs and Mutants, which is a podcast looking at Deadpool. And we brought him on these two episodes because this issue has had a Deadpool retcon about 10 years or 15 years ago. And so we're going to be talking about that in the course of the episode. You may well be aware that the Classics Gang went to San Diego Comic Con. I said last time that we're going to be talking about that some on episode 34 of this show. However, we've already had a couple of occasions to sort of decompress a lot of that Comic Con information. And, you know, sort of reliving those times. So I don't know that we're going to spend a lot of time on this show talking about it. We had the Captain America movie review over on the Facebook page and linked on the Libsyn site. We have talked about Comic-Con over at the Spider-Man Crawl Space podcast. So go to SpiderManCrawlspace.com. You can look for episodes there. Also over at Batgirl to Oracle, a Barbara Gordon podcast. We teamed up with Stella, who was, of course, in San Diego with us and had some you know, memories and some laughs going through that episode. So I don't know we're going to talk about a whole lot on this show. And also, episode 34 now has something special planned, so be here next time for that. I can't tell you that would be spoilers. And I could keep on blabbing here, but I think the best thing to do would be to go ahead and get back to the conversation where we're looking at Amazing Spider-Man 47. Now we move into 1967, the year that would give us The Prisoner on television, as well as the animated series of Spider-Man and... The Fantastic Four. 
fantastic. Which is only fair because the Jocks got their first Super Bowl this year. So, <laughs> what was the most important thing to come out in 1967? Tampons. Uh, <laughs> yes, absolutely, but no, something else. Are you kidding me, John? Says <laughs> the guy who's not a chick, <laughs> who doesn't need. I don't know. My my very very biased opinion, the most like important like cultural like piece of music of that decade, Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. Nice, nice, nice. In is fact, it the one with it, sorry, is that the one with Eleanor Rigby on there? No, Eleanor Rigby was a uh, was uh, an album was the album prior. And to kick it off, Amazing Spider-Man 47 was released on or around January 10th, 1967, about the same time that Spock was wrestling with the responsibilities of command when he gets stranded on a planet with the crew of the shuttlecraft Galileo. But before we get to the Spider-Man book, our webhead had a cameo in another book that was released at the same time. Over in Fantastic Four 61, the Sandman appears in a new costume, taking on the Fantastic Four and giving them a run for their money all by himself. But meanwhile, Peter Parker is getting photos of the Metro ESU game. These two fictitious colleges, neither one of them exists. Metro College is actually real. No, it's not. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And neither is Metro College Stadium, where uh, Peter has taken Mary Jane along as a date. Needless to say, he is flabbergasted when a girl and a giant dog appear out of nowhere in the middle of the football field. These are, of course, Crystal of the Inhumans and her faithful Lockjaw, freshly free from behind the Great Barrier and on search for Johnny Storm. Peter is in literally two panels, but it's kind of nice to see him interacting with the Marvel Universe. Does anyone have any thoughts on this scene? Josh, I know you're the Fantastic Four buff. Yeah, no, I remember this because it was like... Delaying and padding out Crystal and Johnny reuniting as much as possible. And, like, I don't even think they reunited this issue. No. Yeah, that's why I remember. Like, there's still another issue or two. Um, I remember reading this in, in The Essentials and, like, seeing Peter and Mary Jane and being like, oh, cool. And, like, I didn't quite place where this was in Spider-Man continuity. Like, you know, that he was with Mary Jane and not Gwen at this point. So, but I liked it. I like seeing them. And, you know, they were drawn so that they did look like Peter and Mary Jane, even though it was Jack Kirby. So, cool right. on that. Which, in fact, I guess that would make Jack Kirby the person to draw Mary Jane, aside from, if you don't count the Steve Ditko, you know, stuff. Oh, yeah, because we didn't get her face. Yeah, that'd be, yeah, Jack Kirby's the first one to draw her face. And she looks, you're, you're right, they look pretty much, you know, on point. Maybe um, Kirby's and Ramita's styles are more friendly to each other than Kirby's and Ditko's are. Well, well Ramita was a... Uh... I, think, I believe he was inking Kirby on Daredevil, and then he replaced him on Fantastic Four, I think. So I think I think Romita is can be similar when he wants to be with Kirby. Okay, I was sad when John Romita left Daredevil. Like, not like, you know, sad in the 60s when it happened, but like sad when I was reading my essentials, and I saw that John Romita was gone. And like, I remember in the, at least from what I remember, I could be wrong, like, they kind of fooled you into thinking that he was coming back, like, oh, Johnny Romita's just taking a break this arc so he can work on Spider-Man, you know? <laughs> That's cruel. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, and, and then Gene Colan takes on after him, and of course, he is the Daredevil artist for years. Years and years. So yeah, just a little bitty uh, Peter Parker panel, and... um I guess that being said and done, we move on to Amazing Spider-Man 47, 
Josh Bertoni, take it away. Okay, Amazing Spider-Man 47. And as the splash says, would you believe with would you spelled, you know, would apostrophe J-A, so would ya, would you believe <laughs> for even the hunter? Well, we kind of have to believe it because Craven is on the cover. Larger than life and larger than Spider-Man, but not just larger than Spider-Man, larger than five Spider-Man. Probably the same ones that Stephen Lacey was seeing that time when he stayed up for like three weeks. Nice. Yeah, but it wasn't so nice of us. So we go to our splash page, which is, um, like Mary Jane, a big old pile of retcon bait. Yeah. Mm. Craven is being punched by Spider-Man as they're falling off a roof together. And the Green Goblin is about five feet away from them, maybe, maybe ten feet. But nobody sees him in the original issues. So remember how Craven was fighting Spider-Man for the thrill of the hunt and for honor? Yeah, that was all a pack of... Oh, I should read the credits, though. In the hands of the hunter. A swinging super special Spidey saga by Stan Lee and John Romita, abetted and lettered by Sam Rosen. And it's interesting here because they don't say, like, Stan Lee script or John Romita arts. It just has both of their names together. Yeah. It's kind of nice. I think we see that more than once. We, We will. As, as time goes by. So, yeah, I remember how Craven was fighting Spider-Man for honor, the thrill of the hunt, you know, to prove that he's a man. No, it wasn't about that. It was all about making some scratch. It was all about the dough. That's right, folks. Stan Lee used retcons, too. This isn't a new thing. The Green Goblin had promised $20,000 to Craven the Hunter if he killed Spider-Man, according to this flashback. Craven fails in the flashback, you know, because, hey, we, we, we covered those issues with Brad Douglas and Craven mm-hmm. failed twice. So Craven's hired to do something. Craven doesn't do it. And then Craven demands his money. <laughs> um, he gets mad when the Green Goblin's shadowy emissary refuses to give him the money because, you know, he didn't do the job. Craven says that he'll kill the Green Goblin for not giving him the money. So Craven tails the emissary and learns that it's Norman Osborn, who up, up until this point was like seen in the shadows, which I kind of like because it's it's kind of like, you know, in, um, in those old Green Goblin Dicko stories where you don't see his face. It's the same magical shadow hat. Right? Yeah. <laughs> for all your crime noir needs. <laughs> so he, ta- he, yeah, he learns that it's Norman Osborn, who unbeknownst to him, but to borrow a line from Spaceball, beknownst to us, is the Green Goblin. Craven gets captured, though, as we saw in issue 34, and we cut to months later when he's released from jail and seeks revenge on the Goblin and Spidey. He reads in the paper that the Green Goblin died in a fire, so Craven decides that with the Goblin dead, he'll collect his payment from Norman Osborn. Yeah. Mad at the wrong person, but okay. Sure. We cut to Stan Lee, proving that he has no idea how to write four young people or old people. With Aunt May and Aunt Anna talking about, you know, being like roommates. It's so wonderful moving in with you, Anna, especially now that I know Peter is settled in his own apartment with that nice Harry Osborne boy. Bookhorn <laughs> Spider-Man Blue she never liked. <laughs> Don't be so much for us to do, May dear. Oh, wait, that's two Betty Brands. <laughs> I had an Aunt Anna voice once. There'll be so much for us to do, May dear. It was so lovely for me since Mary Jane moved away after living with you for four days. Yeah, more of that. <sighs> but again, that's a retcon. Yeah, retcon. Retcons are fun. Then Mary Jane. Hi, pretty people. I thought you might need a hand with your unpacking. If so, have no fear. MJ is here. Yes, folks. More classic MJ dialogue. 
Mary Jane, how sweet of you to drop by to help. If only my Peter would be so happy-go-lucky. Don't worry about Petey, Mrs. Parker. He's a real swinger. A regular full-time pussycat. And then next page, Mary Jane is inside the living room doing some dance. And the old ladies are like, um, okay, weren't you going to help us? So Aunt May decides to go phone Peter, and she says, Tell him not, and Mary Jane says, Tell him not to forget we're making the scene tonight. Oh, how nice. It's so rare to find a young lady who's interested in handcrafts. Oh, oh May and Stanley and Mary Jane. All three of you are ridiculous. <laughs> Over at the Parker Osborne apartment, you know, Peter and Harry are doing roommate stuff, which isn't as weird as the Aunt May and Aunt Anna roommate stuff. When Norman Osborne visits and he and Peter meet for the first time ever. Peter's relieved because Norman doesn't seem to remember that he's the Green Goblin. And the two of them talk about um, the job offer that Harry relayed to him. And Norman reminds him that it's still open. Everyone's really, really chummy. And Peter doesn't mention that in that negative one issue during the late 90s, they met as a child. And Peter told Norman that he was his inspiration for science. <laughs> oh, boy. But that's because that hasn't been written, and I really can't blame blame Stan for that. Meanwhile, Craven is yelling at Osborne's secretary about his whereabouts, but all she can say is that he'll be out of town. This displeases Craven, who reveals to the readers his new power. Laser nipples. <laughs> Laser nipples! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Which fits in with his jungle motif so well. I've had months. To develop this new weapon, a double barrelized ray which can magnetize his muscular electrolytes. A cobra quick attack like this, and his accursed spidacy will be gone. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> That's the thing with Craven that I don't understand. Is it like he always wants to be this noble man of honor, but he always cheats? I guess it's just because he's a villain. <laughs> he has lace, like, everything about him's like the jungle, the hunter, you know, the speed of a lion, you know, and, like, the cunning of a cheetah, and the agility of a monkey. Oh, and laser nipples. Because he demanded it. Amazing. Wow. This, is, this is the most awesome power of any supervillain ever. Yeah, I wonder why Craven doesn't have that many fans as a villain. We now cut to what will probably be, in this podcast, the most controversial scene of the show. No! <laughs> Ever. Yeah, ever, ever, ever. As a crowd of boys, you know, in ESU are like crawling around Gwen. Don't worry, Gwen. If you're tossing the party, we'll be there. That's fine, boys. After all, we're doing it for Flash. We want him to get a great send-off into the army. Who's gonna take his place with you, doll? And then Gwen says, looks like I'm up for grabs, lads. With a big old smile on her face, as though she were never serious. With a big old smile. She's smiling as men are flirting with her. Okay. The only person not smiling in this entire scene is Peter. Believe me, we are going to Well, Peter in. never smiles. Well, that's not true. He, he, he smiles later. He smiles earlier, too. He smiles yeah. when he walks in the room before he sees her. Yeah. Random ESU guy 3 says that'll be the day when Harry comes in. Who are you kidding, Gwen? You never thought Flash in the first place. Why don't you admit that I'm the secret love of your life? Because it wouldn't be a secret any longer if I did, Harry. Then Peter chimes in, Touché, Miss Stacy. Has anyone ever told you that you get prettier every day? Only my mirror, Mr. Parker. Whoops, sorry. I've been listening to Mary Jane too long. Oh. Zing! Bazing! 
Oh, so here she's joking, realizes that she's joking, and like says, whoops, been listening to Mary Jane too long, which would imply that prior to that point in the conversation, she was playing it straight. Hmm. So if she was playing it straight, that means she was with Harry and not, and not Flash. I didn't say she be... was going steady with either of them. I still got my knife out. We're still doing this. But Mary Jane was riding around with Harry and riding around with Peter. What, what's the difference? Oh, speaking of Mary Jane. Oh, I love how that works for like both, you know, what Gwen said and <laughs> I said. If you'd like to bring her t- to the party, you may. And thanks for permission, Gwen. Things should really be swinging by eight, especially with her there. Thanks, Gwen. I'm sure MJ would get a big kick out of it. Internal monologue. Gwen didn't even give me a chance to ask if she'd... Oh, what's the use to her? I'm just another guy named Pete. And then Gwen... And again, I, I think that, like... She's doing this, you know, like in last issue, because Peter's standing right there, you know, so twisting the knife a little bit. Will you be bringing a date, Harry? With you there, doll? Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> You're still doing that voice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, buddy, what's wrong, Donovan? You can't take me seriously with my door. <laughs> no, yeah. <laughs> that would be like bringing a Chevy to General Murmurs. Well, gentlemen, it's been a real ball. The time has come to fill my little blonde head with learning. You're right, we better move. I'm due at the lab. Say, Gwen, how about a soda after class while we compare some notes on English Lit? I'm afraid I've gotten a little rusty. <laughs> oh, brother. He walks with top honors in every class and he's rusty, so what does that make a guy like me? Come to think of it, don't answer that. Which is <laughs> pretty funny. Yeah, don't, no one's talking to you, Harry. <laughs> he does, you he does this all this year. Like he does this at least twice, twice like in before and after, which I'll point out. Gwen obviously rebuffs Peter, you know, and then makes a you know snarky comment. I'm sure Mary Jane can help you brush up on your notes. So leaving Peter the once again think, oh, when I wanted Gwen, I was when Gwen wanted me, I was busy. Now I want her, and she doesn't want me. Irony, irony, love triangle, love triangle. But then. Yeah, Peter swings off to the Daily Bugle to get some shocker photos where he runs into Betty Brandt and Ned Leeds, who are getting yelled at by Jameson about, you know, coffee breaks again. Is it a coffee break? They leave. They leave. Uh, their their oh, ship yeah. is at noon. They're they're just like going on their lunch break or something. We don't know what it is. We talked about last episode how for two issues straight, all Betty can talk about is like we got to invite Peter to this wedding, and we like juxtapose that maybe their wedding was delayed for so long because they had no friends. So I imagine that before Peter came in, Betty and Ed were saying around, "We have to find some way to be more social. We have to find some way to make more friends." And in comes Peter Parker <laughs> with the answer to their prayers. Say their group, hold it up a second, huh? It's Peter Parker. You've been keeping yourself busy these days, fella. Have you forgotten, Ned? Peter is attending ESU. How have you been, Peter? How are classes? Everything copacetic, Betty. Do you remember Flash Thompson? <gasps> of course I do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give me some of that love. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and then I dropped the comic. <laughs> from my oh, my head. God. This is horrible. Yeah. Betty's enthusiastic reaction with an exclamation point, of course I do, which obviously means nothing at the time, but given given her future relationship with Flash, yeah, very enthusiastic, uh, of course I do, which actually, this is really, really stupid and OCD of me, but because of a crawlspace like Flash and Betty like project and me looking up all the issues, 
this is the first time in continuity that Betty Brandt has acknowledged that Flash Thompson is someone that exists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he um, says, "Do you remember Flash Thompson?" But there's, well, I guess he probably would have told her about him whenever she was, whenever they were dating. Well, like they were in scenes together, but like whenever it was the four of them together, Peter, Flash, Betty, and Liz. Betty and Liz were too focused on each other to really, you know, like have Betty interact with Flash Thompson. Right. I mean, she she must have been aware of him. Whose name is in the writer's slot of this book again? Stanley. Well, okay. there, there is a slot, Are you really surprised that there's an exclamation point at the end of something? In case you haven't noticed, except for ellipses, there are no periods. Good point. <laughs> and then Just, and he still says, hey, look, it's Peter Parker. Not Peter, not Parker. Hey, look, it's Peter Parker. Um, Ned leads... Oblivious to his fiance, drooling in the corner, imagining Flash Thompson. He's yes, you star quarterback. Because yes, that's why Betty remembers him. Not anymore. He's going in the army, and we're throwing a party for him tonight. Say no more. We wouldn't miss it for the world. And then Betty and Ned go in the elevator, like you know, shaking their fist in joy. Hooray! We'll finally have people to invite to our wedding. <laughs> yeah, that's why she's happy. <laughs> I can't wait to give Flash a kiss goodbye before he goes to the army. (laughs) No, that doesn't happen, at least on panel, but I can pretend. (laughs) And I will. Then Peter goes to Jonah's where he sells the shocker picks during some witty, where where we get some more witty Jonah Peter banter. And then John Jameson reminds us via a a phone cameo that he exists and says hi to Peter, who he has no way of knowing at this point, but it's all cool. Craven breaks into the Osborne mansion I want Osborne. Where is he? Craven the Hunter. The Master is not here, sir. He's on a business trip out of town. Don't try to lie to me. I can stop a charging bull elephant in his tracks with my his own strength. I can defeat a full-grown lion in barehanded combat. Yeah, because you have laser nipples. Nobody lies to me. <laughs> it's the truth, sir. He's not here. See for yourself. I don't have to see. My own animal senses tell me that you're too frightened to lie. Those senses. Those are senses. You can tell that he's too far in the light because of your animal. No. No. <laughs> it could be like Daredevil's radar sense telling him when people are lying. Or his mustache sense or something. His yeah. laser nipple sense. So, not that this is actually what happens in the issue, but pretend for a moment that Craven, you know, flew the Delaware or wherever it was that Norm was on business and murdered Norman Osborne. And then frame Spider-Man. Harry would go on for years, thinking that Spider-Man killed his father. The butler would say nothing. And then finally, right before the final showdown, this butler would say, Oh, by the way, on the the night before your father died, some gentle madman broke into the house saying, Where's Norman Osborn? I'll kill him. I'll kill him. And I told him that your dad was out of town. The next day, your dad was dead. Just thought I should mention it now. Bye! Going home, sir. Oh no, that was one of the worst moments of Spider-Man Three. That was the worst moment of Spider-Man Three. It really, truly was. Yeah. So there's a missing page after this because I can only assume that somehow Harry, Peter, Gwen, and MJ all got ready for the party by dropping LSD. Because. Oh, I hope you're not blaming Harry's dialogue on drugs. <laughs> Harry Osborne taking drugs. <laughs> what a laugh. That's silly. Yeah, well, the boys are getting dressed in their room, and Harry and Harry, Harry says, Between my Gwen and your Mary Jane, we really got it made. Mm-hmm. And then Peter thinks, hey, Figure, son, we're strictly from Wow City. Uh. And then Peter, of course, internally thinks, What's with me? Why do I get all shook up? When I hear him call her his Gwen, 
because well, they've because, had yeah, it's clearly because Gwen's been dating Flash his entire time, and because <laughs> it, and because Gwen has had like two dates with him maybe, and Harry was on a date with Mary Jane like an issue or two before. So yeah, Harry's getting a little possessive here over a relationship that is not exclusive. No, no, no way, no. And we try not to read too much of these word for word because it slows down the recap. But gosh darn it, there's just some weird crack in here. <laughs> first, attention, Spidey Files. In case you're wondering why we're making with all this Moon June jazz when we've got a cat like Craven just waiting to be unleashed, don't lose your cool. And then they have a Spidey signal in there for no reason. It's all going to dovetail together and turn into a symphony of action. Or anyway, that's the way we planned it, signed Smiley. He always Smiley? feels apologize, like when somebody's not getting punched. <laughs> So, Peter and Harry are in the car, getting ready to pick up the girls. Good thing you've got this boat, Harry. We'd never be able to pick up both gals on my cycle, although it might be fun to try. I may have to change this car in soon. It needs a wash. Look, there's Gwen. Ah, my two gallant knights on their speeding steed. Gwen, if I didn't know you looked like that, I got in here sooner. What you expect me to look like, Yogi Bear? I'm gonna bust out of here. How come, Yogi? Every day it's the same old thing. Look at the bears, look at the bears, look at the bears. Sheesh. If you think it's too chilly, we can put the top up. Bite your tongue, impetuous one. We night people thrive on moon burns. And then we have Peter reminding himself once again of the status quo. Gwen liked me, I didn't like her, now I'm with Mary Jane. Gwen doesn't like me. Exposition. Then they... Then they go pick up Mary Jane, who surprisingly does look like Yogi Bear. Hey, Pop! Look at the bears! Look at the bears! Look at the bears! See what I mean, boo-boo? No, not really, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> who exclaims, who needs a car? When there's a party to go to, I can, like, fly all the way! God. Yeah. <sighs> and you guys try to tell me that she's not on drugs. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they dropped LSD before that scene. On the way. Well, we go to the party where Betty, remember Betty, back when she and Peter were dating, when Peter, like, you know, was going to Hollywood, Betty's like, I bet you you're going to look at other girls there. And then, you know, whenever something happened, you know, Peter, Betty would accuse Peter of looking at other girls. Well, now they're not dating anymore. So Betty has no reason to, like, you know, be mad about that. But of course, the first thing that Betty, who's on a date with her fiance, wonders is if her ex-boyfriend Peter has a wandering eye, as she thinks, I wonder which two of those gorgeous girls he's most interested in. Tyler, if you and Amanda and John and Hope walked into a party together, my first thought would not be, I wonder which one of those two girls Tyler's most interested in. <laughs> assume that you're interested in your date. I have no reason to assume. Now, I talked about this with Don, like, before the show before, and, like, really, it's a writing tool, because it's, like, the exposition, because the readers are supposed to wonder who Peter's more interested in, so it's, like, Betty saying it for the readers, but from an in-universe standpoint, it's, he's with, you know, why why are you wondering if Peter cares about what, you know, you're, you're not with Peter anymore, stop, stop accusing him of cheating on you when you're broken up and you're engaged to somebody else. But, <laughs> <laughs> How dare he cheat on me while I'm, while I'm engaged to get married? <sighs> Speaking of Amanda real quick, I know she's probably going to be listening to this. And for the record, dear, I have no interest in John's wife. <laughs> of course you'd say that. It's on the record. Amanda runs away crying. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> but I have every interest in Amanda. Yeah. See, I was going to use that joke with John, like, you know, and then I realized, well, John likes every girl, so, you know. <laughs> I wonder which one of those two girls John's more interested in. Like, that, that is a legitimate thought that somebody might think, so. <laughs> Rendering your entire point useless. Use John. But, yeah, two different couples walk into a room together, and it's like, I, I wonder if the guy wants to sleep with his friend's girlfriend. Like, <laughs> stop well, it's funny, because in this case, it's true. It is true. She's on the money, but I don't know. Flash soon en- Flash enters, but pretty soon the girls become the center of attention as they do the 1960s version of You Just Got Served. <laughs> I love this fish. Now you're with it, PDO. You know it, lady. But I just want to talk to Flash for a while. Police, no names. The enemy may be listening. Mm, this tempo really turns me on. What doesn't turn Mary Jane on? Like we're going to get to a point where like there's a hole in Aunt Anna's house, like a hole in the wall, and Mary Jane's like, like dig that crazy hole. And you guys try to tell me she's not on drugs. <laughs> Harry, you know, ever the instigator, whispers to Gwen, Say, pretty girl, are we going to let Geet and MJ hog the spotlight? MJ, she was supposed to be helping me give out the burgers. No chick who can dance like that is going to dish out meatballs. Here, friendly philosopher, I've just resigned. Get low, get low, get low, get low. <laughs> so, yeah, then the girl's like... <laughs> In live action, they're, like, doing some sort of you-just-got-served thing to each other where MJ does a dance, Gwen, like, you know, escalates it. They each escalate it to each other as everyone's cheering and, like, the guys are all drooling. Which they, yeah, here's, uh... Here's a sam- pissed. Yeah, <laughs> as she would be. <laughs> yeah, here, here's a sampling of the guys drooling over Gwen. Hey, gang, look at Gwen go. Well, we, if we could package that, we'd be risk. Come on, let's hear it for the little lady. Mm, boy, flash on enlist every day. Back you, tigers. Give her room. I thought you were passing out the burgers, Gwen. Don't fret, pet. I saved a few for you. And then Flash says, put your eyes back in your head, Parker. You wouldn't stand a chance in that league. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, like, but if Flash, you know, wasn't standing a chance in that league, then, you know, why would he? Yeah, no, it's just the same as if he knows or something, you know, like about Gwen's league. And obviously, if Flash didn't stand a chance in her league either, then Flash would kind of be insulting himself there, too. So, would Flash be saying that if, you know, he didn't get a little bit of Nookie or two? No, come on. He's saying that because Flash thinks he knows everything. He could also be having struck out with Gwen after his attempts to get a a thing going with her, be taking his self-defeat and turning it on attack at Parker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Harry says, The way MJ's looking at Gwen, there's liable to be an explosion, too. Oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> it's Craven the Kool-Aid Man. Oh, yes. <laughs> the Kool-Aid Man burst into the room. <laughs> Wanted to kill Harry Osborn. <laughs> and then Craven like, uses his laser nipples to splash the Kool-Aid Man's like glass, and like Kool-Aid goes all over the floor. <laughs> Only Craven gets to do entrances. No, that, that, that's how it goes down, minus the Kool-Aid Man. Craven spots Harry and says he'd recognize the son of Osborne anywhere, um, probably because of their distinguishing, you know, features. Like their, the Tootsie Roll hair? 
I was going to say their ears, but yeah, you know, maybe, maybe the hair. <laughs> Flash threatens Craven for breaking up his party, but Craven pimps Flash Flash down to the floor, but don't worry, he'll get his revenge in Venom issue 2. Mm-hmm. Flash is Venom fought Craven in issue 2 of their series, and Flash kind of won. Gwen talks about calling the police, and ironically, the next words from Craven's mouth are, Where is your father? But he's not talking about Gwen's father, the cop, he's talking about Harry. Peter tells everyone he is running off to call the cops, but we know what he's really doing, right? Right? Taking photos? No. No. What is he really doing? I have the faintest idea. Changes in the Spider-Man, where he taunts Craven until Craven forgets about Harry, and they fight at the construction site from the Donkey Kong arcade game, right outside <laughs> the spoon. <laughs> Mary Jane's got to be aware of the imminent danger in all this, right? Right. 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 Hey, you're missing the whole bit. Like, talk about it happening. If only Peter would get here with his cool Kodak. Shut a up. Guy, a guy just burst into a party trying to kill one of your friends. Harry uh, Harry is hurt. He, he's, like, not able to stand up on his own. <laughs> talk about it happening. <laughs> <laughs> and then Leech, you know, trying to sound more serious than he really is. Go with them, Betty. Get to someplace indoors. I've got to contact the Bugle and call him the story. This is a real front-page scoop. Keep in mind, Ned is talking about going to a phone booth here. And Betty, acting like Ned is going out to, like, Vietnam with Flash to die. No! <laughs> I want to stay with you! If there's any danger, we'll share it together! She's gonna use the telephone, woman. <laughs> and then Betty thinks, you know, something that made me drop the book again. I remember when I went steady with Peter... In between dating other people. Yeah, steady means that neither of you date other people. You dated other people. That's not going steady. Well, they were exclusive while they were going steady. (laughs) Right. It was one way steady. Peter couldn't date anyone else, and Betty could date Ned. Exactly. That's that. Isn't that how steady goes? In Betty Brantland, yes. And Betty thinks about how if anything would happen to Ned, she couldn't bear it. Why she'd absolutely join a cult or something. (laughs) <laughs> Jameson and Foswell rush over to the Donkey Kong construction site. Norman Osborn has also heard from his butler that about the danger, you know, because in this universe, the butler actually tells people important information regarding life and death. As <laughs> <laughs> opposed to the Raimi universe, the movie universe, the Hollyverse. The butler probably could have stopped Uncle Ben's killer, but didn't. <laughs> So Osborne rushes back, hearing that somebody wants to murder him, you know, thinking, wow, I better check this out, and overpays a cab driver to take him to Craven. Does he know that Harry's in danger? Like, just based on this Craven thing, I'm kind of confused, but okay. The battle continues, and Craven's laser nipples even get the best of Spidey. Luckily, the arrival of Norman Osborne distracts Craven from pimp-slapping Spidey the way he pimp-slapped Flash. But now it's Osborne's turn to get pimp-slapped. Craven strong-arms Osborne and asks him for the money, and Osborne says, I don't know what you're talking about. I never promised you anything. Never seen you before. Don't make me beat it out of you. My jungle instinct can sense when someone is lying. And, oh my god, again with this. (sighs) (laughs) Yeah, and wasps have to have a natural, you know, like, detestment of spiders. (laughs) It's not possible. I remember you. I spoke to you, and yet, you don't remember You don't know anything about it. You're telling the truth. I don't know how, but you're the wrong one. A jungle beast does not attack without reason, and Craven no longer has reason. Okay, dude, you attack people without reason all the time. The prize is still mine. Craven has defeated Spider-Man. So Craven 
Kraven, like the Bond villain he is, you know, runs away, not seeing Spider-Man get up behind him. <laughs> you know, Osborne falls anyway, and Peter's like, no, no, not like this, not like Gwen, and catches him, realizing that Gwen hasn't fallen yet, and that, you know, he's referencing something that Osborne's actually going to do, hundreds, you know, in about a hundred issues or so. No, not even hundred issues, in about seven, eighty issues, whatever. Yeah. Jameson, you know, runs up and says, oh, Spider-Man was behind this, wasn't he? And Osborne says, oh, come off of it, Jameson. You know, print the truth for one. Spider-Man saved my life, and you know it. And Jameson's like, ah, oh, you're just in shock. Mary Jane, almost witnessing, you know, all these people dying, you know. It was a real gasser, Petey. Yeah. Peter and Flash have one last moment together before he goes off into the army. I wish you all the best, Flash. Something tells me that you've got what it takes. To come out on top, fellow. And I'm betting you do. <laughs> you know, Sidney Parker, ever so often I figure you're not as square as I thought. Take good care of the chicks for old Flasheroo while I'm gone, you hear? Hope I'm not squeezing your hand too hard, cuz, uh, Spider Man, you ain't. Whoa! Uh, 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 cause not Spider Man or anything. Uh, uh, huh, right? <laughs> Get right? Help, everybody. Am I right? Am I? Well, I'm going to go wherever these two feet take me. Gosh, I love my lucky legs. Hope I never lose them. <laughs> Finally, the banter dies away. The crowd turns out, and a lonely, thoughtful figure silently trudges homeward. He was probably my greatest fan. If only I could have told him who I was just once. Maybe I'll get the chance in Civil War, and it'll be retconned in one more day. But why am I thinking of him in the past tense? He'll come back. He'll make it somehow. The good guys always win. Don't they? They, they. Dun, dun, dun. Next, the wings of the vulture. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was an amazing recap. Thank you very much, Josh, for bringing that. I think you set the bar for new recaps, Josh. <laughs> really? Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. I... <laughs> that didn't come out as good as I would have liked, but okay, cool. Thanks. So this is this is an amazing issue. Like Craven has the laser nipples, <laughs> which yeah. take it to, which which are all kinds of ridiculous. He is the worst part of this issue, but in spite of his ridiculousness, this is one of the best issues of the entire series run that we've ever had. That's why everybody remembers it as every issue. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Speaking of remembering this issue. So this issue is, uh, this has some interesting retcons that have been done to it. Tyler, tell us about some of this stuff. Because in addition to being, you know, just generally awesome yourself, you do host the Of Mercs and Mutants podcast, which deals with the character known as Deadpool. And they, uh, they address this issue at one point. Yes, Deadpool number 11 of Deadpool's first ongoing series parodies this issue and it's hilarious actually it started with the issue before this with uh deadpool facing off against the great lakes avengers and him getting sent through a time portal with uh his live-in hostage blind owl and i used the word host it's a very funny complicated story if you want to know about blind owl but basically she's an old blind woman who deadpool's taken hostage and she just kind of stays there of her own free will and harasses uh Deadpool more than she should and basically they go through this time portal and they come out through the porch of Peter's house and they knock Aunt May silly okay <laughs> um and it's great too because 
it starts with uh, Aunt May looking up at the top of the porch saying, Oh my, I hope I didn't leave the porch night on all night again. You silly May Parker, you don't even have a porch light. <laughs> nice. So basically, they knock out Aunt May, and while Deadpool tries to figure out what's going on, Aunt Anna visits to help May pack up to move over. Deadpool almost shoots her in the face, but instead he they decide it would be a better idea for them to pose as the family in a picture on the fireplace, a.k.a. Aunt May and Peter. So they do up <laughs> Blind Al's hair like Aunt May's, and Deadpool sets his uh, holographic generator to look like Peter Parker. And it's, crazy. it's great because all he does the entire issue is just cause trouble. And they made the coloring look very similar to this, even though it still looks a little newer. But there are, like, some panels lifted straight up. Like, there are still flashbacks to Craven doing stuff, and it's great. But uh, basically, to get out of trouble or to make sure Peter doesn't come home, he calls the uh, school nearby where Peter is, and just randomly Peter happens to pick up. And, yeah, exactly. Deadpool explains that there's something Spider-Man should be at and he could take pictures of in New Jersey. So Peter goes away the entire issue and goes to New Jersey while uh, Deadpool kind of lives his life. And one of my uh, favorite parts of the issue is when Harry Osborn shows up. It's how I introduce myself in the episode. He says, uh, what's a scam hip cat? Thought I'd find you singing with the squares, hanging with the hard cases, rapping with the rubes. And Deadpool just goes, are you having a seizure? Speak English. (laughs) Awesome. And he also makes several comments about the Osborne's hair. Nice. We gotta do that. Does this retcon the issue to where Peter's not in the issue anymore? Yeah, it's all Deadpool posed as Peter. So this issue is not in continuity anymore. Or this issue, like like they went back in time. And changed it, yes. Wow, that's crazy. Who is Jack Hammer? He is the weasel. Pretty much he's Deadpool's hacker friend. And it's great because as it turns out, he went to ESU with Peter Parker and Gwen Stacy. But he was he was a bigger nerd than Peter and nobody ever noticed him. And Deadpool finds him in this issue and just goes, hey, Weasel, how's it hanging? And Jack gets all offended because he's this, you know, big, sophisticated science man. And so Deadpool takes Jack along with him and Mary Jane and Gwen to this party. And actually, Betty Brant is no longer in the issue at all. So that would make, that would improve. Uh, yeah, Josh thinks more of it now. And all this time, like every time Aunt May goes to wake up because she fainted when they knocked her out, they have this pulley system set up so that this thing will lower and scare her. And it even has Boo written out on a sign and she faints and goes <laughs> and goes back into a car. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Who wrote that? It was uh, Joe Kelly, actually. Okay. And I know a lot of people did not like his work on amazing spider-man but his deadpool run is considered the best by a lot of fans and this is why so they all dress up to go to this party and deadpool makes fun of how peter only has blue suits and laughs when he sees like a uh, jackhammer and flash and like red and green suits he even laughs harder with uh, harry in his purple suit and basically that whole scene with gwen dancing um, it's retcon now so that it's not because she was jealous of Mary Jane. It's because Weasel, a.k.a. Jack Hammer, invited her to dance. <laughs> so so all the it, it's like the same panel, and he's just kind of forced gumped in. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, he, he's, uh, he has this thought balloon. I'm doing it. I'm dancing with Gwen Stacy. My life is now complete. Nice. And all the kids consider him cool at the end of the issue. 
Then Craven comes in and starts messing up the party, and Deadpool thinks he'll take him down, but he doesn't want to just take off his holographic, you know, thing, because he doesn't want people to know that he wasn't really Peter Parker. And he even thinks no one will think twice if a wuss like Parker runs, runs from a fight. <laughs> so basically, they force Gump in Deadpool to a lot of the poses, like uh, there's a panel where he's hanging off of one of the girders. Um, using his hands and feet, and he even says, um, listen, Cravey, the cool way I'm holding onto these girders may impress the babes, and he just goes on about how ridiculous he's, uh, standing and all that. <laughs> and then at the end of the issue, Deadpool actually knocks Craven out by swinging in on a rope, and then he catches Norman Osborn after he falls, and as Peter comes back, and the whole scene is replayed out, Peter's thinking to himself, this is strange, you're talking about me as if I was here the whole time. Oh, <laughs> Good stuff. Um, Deadpool, deciding that he needs to fix continuity and not make Jack Hammer such a cool guy, goes to Norman Osborn and finds out that uh, besides Peter, um, Jack Hammer is the other top candidate for, I guess it's the employment position at Oscorp, even though it's not named that yet. That a boy. Yeah. He actually tells Norman that Jack has a bunch of disorders. And uh, Norman says, you know what, I'm just going to give you time to work on your addiction. Um, you You can get yourself cured. So Jack Hammer turns out to be the weasel because Peter wrecks his, or because Deadpool wrecks his chance with Norman Osborn and then introduces him to booze. <laughs> and at the uh, very end of the issue, um, we come back with uh, Al talking to Anna, and she says she has uh, dressed Al in a nightgown because blind Al's blind and can't dress herself. I don't know why Aunt Anna wasn't tipped off by this. And um, Al says, if I look as stupid as I think I do, you better invest in a lock. And it's, it's just, Al is completely taken aback, and she doesn't want to act like Aunt May anymore because she can't stand the stupidity of Anna Watson. So after this, uh, Deadpool and Al go back into the present and finish dealing with the uh, Great Lakes Avengers. And it it's just a really fun story overall. Well, it sounds like it. Um, and that's Deadpool number 11? Yes, that is Deadpool number 11. It's actually uh, one of the, I'd say it's probably one of the best issues of the entire series, and it's also one of the rarest, just because it wasn't even double, it was triple-sized. Because on the cover, Deadpool says uh, it's only 64 pages with only two ads. <laughs> gotcha. Well, that will certainly shed, shed some <laughs> new light on how the events in here played out. Now, I guess do we want to say that that was, is that the way things always happened, or is that a new series of events, or have they made a new timeline, or does it really matter? I don't know. I'm going to go with it. It doesn't really matter. No, if you're a Spider-Man fan, you don't need to read this story at all. But if you're a Deadpool fan who's also happened to read this issue, you can kind of... It's really any one of the above. I like to think that it happened instead of what happened in Spider-Man number 47. Uh-huh. Just because it then sets up, you know, why Weasel becomes the way Weasel is. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, at one point or another, this issue did occur the way it does. So, it's all good. Now, speaking of going back and retconning things, no, we don't. We aren't doing of merit um, from marriage to Mephisto, John. <laughs> so Craven gives us some flashbacks to his previous two stories in Amazing Spider-Man fifteen and uh, thirty-four. Thirty-four, yeah. Completely flies in the face of everything that had happened in those issues. Because, oh, it doesn't work at all. Yeah, it doesn't work at all. He says what? that you didn't pay me for work I didn't do. Right. Because Chameleon called Craven to the country to catch Spider-Man because no one he knows is foolish enough to go after Spider-Man. Oh, wait, my friend Craven might. <laughs> He's foolish enough. And also my secret 
brother. <laughs> yeah, also my secret brother. But what we find out is that Craven was already here. He didn't just come off the boat, and that he had a business deal with Norman Osborn to go after Spider-Man. Those two series of events don't can't go together. I thought I thought that they were just referencing 34. When exactly do they reference his first appearance? The first fight is 15. The second fight is 34. It's the only way it works because they they can't do because they they only fought once in 34. The Green and Goblin here he fights and shakes down Osborn, and then fights Spider-Man again. The Green Goblin takes Spider-Man to Hollywood to hit him on the head with a rock in issue 14. And then he hires Kraven to go after Spider-Man in issue 15. And then that doesn't work. Kraven goes to get his money from Norman Osborn and can't find the Green Goblin. Or he thinks he's going after Green Goblin. He can't find the Green Goblin. He sees Norman Osborn instead. At this point, Norman Osborn is still the Green Goblin. Kraven just doesn't know it. And then Spider-Man and Kraven have another fight. Okay. And then later on, he finds out that Green Goblin died in a fire, which is really funny <laughs> to say whenever it actually happened. Um, right. Well, this in this instance, I would I would be very surprised if no one called in uh, Lee on the letters, saying that you know this doesn't add, add up at all because it really doesn't. Because he says check issues thirty for, for or check issues fifteen and thirty four. Once you check that in, you'll you'll find out that Chameleons was there um, and other stuff. Right. And that's why the Deadpool version makes more sense. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- there is a sequel to this of sorts, though, the Craven osborne relationship, because in Amazing Spider-Man Annual 96, it wasn't the 96 annual, they actually called it Annual like 96 for 1996, the and year right it came out. Yeah, isn't that a good book? Oh yeah, dude. Yeah, it's like, awesome. Osborne, like, gets his memory back, like, a teeny bit-ish, and th- this is so, con- it's actually kind of contrived, but it's very Silver Age. Mary Jane isn't giving Harry, like, attention, so Harry goes to his dad for advice. His dad's <laughs> like, wow, y- wow, you're so gay, you like a girl, huh? I'll make a man out of you. So, Osborne calls a thug to basically, like, hire Craven to try and kill Harry to make him more of a man. Yeah. Um, and th- Yeah, and then, like, it it doesn't wind up working as so craven goes after osborne again for like the same reasons he goes after harry and mary jane's like aren't you gonna do something harry and harry pees his pants he doesn't actually pee his pants but like you know you get the gist well there's a girl and, girl. she says harry pick it up and he's like i can't can't or won't <laughs> <laughs> and at the end like at the end craven's like you know what <laughs> I'm going to try and kill Norman Osborn again. So he goes into Norman Osborn's office. At this point, Norman has his full memory back, and he's like, all right, Craven, you want your money? Here's your money. And then Craven's like, what? I don't want your money. What makes you think I want your money? There's no honor in taking money from you. And then Craven leaves. What? Yeah. yeah that, that, well, that issue took place sometime, sometime after this because it had Captain Stacy. It has Captain Stacy figuring out that Peter is Spider-Man. Exactly. But, like, every, everyone in the book is reacting as if, like, Peter and Gwen, like, have, like, just went on their first dates. Like, they just started going steady. Like, that's the big deal, this issue. The that's timeline why I of remember going steady doesn't mean much. The timeline of the right. annual takes place during, like, the drug era where Peter and Gwen were heavily seeing each other. Not, not, not exactly in the drug era, but it's, like, Peter and Gwen and Harry and Mary Jane. And that's when Mary Jane starts her whole, wow, oh, I don't really care about you, Harry thing. So I think that whenever yeah, cause, I because Harry asked Mary Jane to go steady, and Mary Jane says no, but like she kind of says no, like huh, what a laugh, Harry. That's a good one. But Harry's like, but I was serious. <laughs> when I think I want to track down a supervillain, the first place I'm going to go is to the newspaper archives and look well, yeah, through their old know. files. 
that's what Daredevil does, like, multiple times. Oh, I need to learn about, you know, the Matador. Let's go to the newspaper. Yeah, but he's a lawyer. I mean, that's kind of like his M.O. for everything he does in life is... He goes as Daredevil, though, in costume. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. He should go as Matt Murdock, because then, like, you know, if anyone catches him there, it's not like Daredevil Freeze. It's like, oh, Mr. Murdock, help! I'm a blind man, and I've wandered into this records building by mistake. Well, not just that, but, like, he... I think Matt Murdock has, like, the co- a costume fetish or something, because he just puts it on when it, there's absolutely no need. The Fantastic Four want him to do a lease on his building, They and they get a photo of him so that he can walk right in, but then he puts on his costume and swings through a window. <laughs> At the bottom of page four, we continue our fetish with Sophia Loren. Harry Osborn <laughs> says, I'd better see who's at the door. I'd hate to keep Sophia Loren waiting. Or would you believe Captain Kangaroo? This is this is the start of Harry talking to himself, which he thinks he's much more popular than he think he is because like Peter's still talking on the phone, and then Harry's like like I better see what's at the door. I hate to keep Sophia Loren waiting, or would you believe Captain Kangaroo? <laughs> and like Peter's not paying any attention to him. So yeah, they they, they show that back and forth. He says, "I'll bet she's putting it on. I'll bet she's putting you on, son. Your aunt's probably hipper than you." And Peter says, "Who isn't, Dad? No, no, not you, Aunt May. I was talking to Harry." Right, and then Harry starts to like, trail off into his own little twisty roll world. Now, he says, would you believe Captain Kangaroo? Now, I was all prepared to tease y'all for not being old enough to watch Captain Kangaroo until I went onto YouTube to see some clips of Captain Kangaroo, and I realized that the man that I have been associating in my head with the name Captain Kangaroo all my life is actually Mr. Peppermint. And what? Not. So, like, I saw Mr. Peppermint shows as a kid, but, like... As a not-so-kid, whenever I would hear the name Captain Kangaroo, I would think it was Mr. Peppermint. And so that's a big fail on my part. I remember Captain Kangaroo commercials, like, when I was a kid. Like, I, I, I could sing the song right now if I had to, but I won't. Let's talk Wait, about the Silver Spoon. Is that where the party takes place? No, it takes place uh, in Gwen's, like... Uh, oh, no, 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 no. Or... How about we get to the main event? Mm-hmm. Any objections? In this, in this corner... Flash Thompson. In this corner, Gwen Stacy. In the middle corner, a dinner for two. Will they meet in the corner, middle corner, for a dinner for two? Will Will that dinner for two be a date or just be a dinner that two people are on together? Find out. Who do you want to go Did... first, John? Me or him? Okay, this is this is really going to be interesting. Let's let Josh go first. Not really much else to say that hasn't already been said. I mean, this isn't a one-off comment in one issue. There's been references it to throughout. I will give to Dawn that, yeah, if she and Flash were, like, somewhat serious, and I'm not saying that they didn't date, but if they were more serious, then Gwen taking Harry to the goodbye party would have been, like, a really, 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 I don't want to say the B word because I feel that's disrespectful, but a really bad move on her part mm-hmm. in substitution okay. of another B word. But... I maintain that this has been like Archie and the gang dating, and there's been multiple reference to it in multiple issues. It's really, really hard to coincidentally say that all of those were just, you know, everyone joking. There's evidence to the contrary, so I mean, I'll I'll, I'll rebuttal Don's points when he gets to it, I guess, but I wouldn't, I mean, everyone's just casually dating. I mean... There's a scene in the first Kingpin arc where, like, Gwen is out on a date with Harry, and Mary Jane straight up says, well, that's only because Peter didn't ask her on a date first. 
if Mary Jane, I mean, if Gwen Stacy has no problem going out on dates with Harry and then going out on a date with Peter, Harry's roommate, the next week, then I don't think that her dating Flash and dating Harry is that big of a deal. Okay. I have things I want to say, but I will hold back as the host of the event and say, Dawn, take the stage. All right. This is this this is my final argument, and I wanna I wanna I wanna get this like like I, I, I really wanna kind of finish this off tonight, but um I want I don't wanna uh, misconstrue Josh's argument, but whenever he says Flash and Gwen were dating, I, this this might just fall down to a, a discrepancy of the terms because I you're not gonna see me deny that uh, they went out twice, maybe even three times, I think twice. At the same time, she went out with Harry uh, more than once. And with this issue, I I mean I think I think that Josh has been saying this all along. Gwen is just kind of like 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 the like the ESU bicycle, really. Like oh no, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like this 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 chick, like she she pretty much like she's sort of like the like the more demure Mary Jane in the fact that she'll roll with any guy as long as you know as long as she can sort of be seen with with a guy at her arm for popularity. That's what I gathered. I don't. I do not think that she and Flash were dating because that that to me says that they were a couple. Now you can say they went on dates. That's fine. But you can also say that she and Harry went on dates. And I don't think that. At the end of the day, I don't think that she and Harry were a couple either. I think that she went on dates with them without dating. Do you understand what I'm saying? So when she first went with Peter, that's why she and Peter stuck together like glue for so long because they were seriously like into it. They were they weren't just like hanging out together and calling it dates. That is my final thing. Basically, Gwen was like uh, uh, a cheese pizza to all these guys, and her throwing the, the the thing for Flash and all that, it was you know just out of out of um, just out of out of pure generosity. I don't think it was because she was his gal. I don't think she was ever Flash's gal. I think what you just said, they went on dates. Now, I I, I would guess there was more than two or three because I think there's a lot of stuff that goes on between the issues and off panels that we never hear about or see about. So let's say that she was casually going out with, you know, her guy friends. Maybe they wanted it to turn towards something romantic. Maybe it didn't. I think that she dated Flash more than Harry over these last few issues since issue 30. And that's why they make the comments about how she's Flash's girl and who's going to take her place with you, who's going to take his place with you, Gwen, and those sorts of things. Because she and Flash have gone on several dates and everyone knows they've been seeing a lot of each other. Personally, I think that the reason that she doesn't go with Flash to Flash's own party is because Flash wanted something more from Gwen and Gwen got tired of it because Gwen didn't want that from Flash. You know, they, they could go out, they could have some t- fun together, they could go see a movie or whatever. Maybe there's some, some casual intimacy, like, you know, like hugging or something at the end of the day. I don't know. To me, that's casual dating. and it, it, it is dating, but it's not a Flash and Liz relationship. It's not a Peter and Gwen relationship. Um, it's not even as possibly serious as MJ and Harry got at one point. I don't know, because uh, I forget exactly how the Harry-MJ nuances went. They, they call each other lover, um, f- f- Harry and MJ, not Flash and Gwen. So, I mean, it implies that there's more affection. Now, well, granted, the 70s books, right? Right. I mean, granted, there could have been more affection between Flash and Gwen off-panel, but we're going by what's on-panel. So I would say, judging by what's on-panel, Harry and MJ were more serious than Flash and Gwen. Yeah. Flash oh, and Gwen went on some dates. They had something 
that never went to anything. Well, there's so many times in the last couple of issues where Gwen looks like she can't stand Flash. Yeah, she's with him. She's hanging out with him. But every time she never, like, like addresses him, he's always talking to her. There was one point in that last issue where, like, she, Stop like, once started, on me. Yeah, exactly. Like, they start talking about Flash, and she's like, gentlemen, we are trying to study. We, me, her, and Peter. Now, obviously, I'm not going to contest that she was more interested in Peter than anyone else. But the thing is, is that, like, when people say, um, who's going to take his place with you, doll? I'm not – I really do think they're just, like, being, uh, being glib there. I'm not, I'm not making that up because – there's like look at look at Gwen's face on page six. Does that look like somebody who's like seriously going to go out with Flash Thompson? I mean, from what we see on the panels, they had definitely you know gone on one on one coffee breaks or whatever. But I do not see it as dating. I just see it as like sort of playing the field. And I think that it's getting misconstrued to say that yes, uh, Gwen and Flash were dating just to sort of build a, cont- a continuity that I don't think is really there, in my opinion. And you know, it's mostly dictated on the terms. See, what you're saying is, like, they went out on multiple dates, but they weren't dating. It's being really selective with, like, what means dating. You know, you're exactly right. But I, I, yeah. Look, I mean, you've acknowledged that they've gone out on dates, that they went out on multiple dates. Going out with multiple dates with someone is the term dating. I'm not arguing, you know, that, like, they made out in the back of Flash's car and that, like, Flash was ever... I may have used the term, like, boyfriend, you know, once or twice, like, in passing, but, like, the way that, like, you call, you know, like, a girl as a friend of yours, a, gr- a girlfriend, but no, like, Flash was, I'm not gonna argue that, like, Flash was, like, her official boyfriend, the way that, you know, Peter would be, or something. Okay, that's, um, I think we can, we can come to terms with that, because... You're being a little stubborn with the dating thing, though. You're like, they went on on dates, but they weren't dating. Well, well I think I think the term means something stronger to Don than it does to Josh. Yeah. I think I think the term dating, because I, I I personally I, I'm, feel I'm being like literal with it, and Donovan and Donovan's not okay. He's using it as, as a label for a relationship that we you might not necessarily be intending. Yes. I think possibly that we're going to come down to say that we, we actually are meaning the same thing. We're just using different ways to describe it. That's what it sounds like we're all coming from here. But if, if someone were to ever ask me, did, did Flash and Gwen ever date? Yes, they dated. Using the verb went on dates to mean to date, they dated. That's sort of like where I come uh, come on the opposite. I just, I just go back to that, that uh, Spider Jeopardy where JR got the question wrong because uh, Josh said – well, Gwen and Flash went out. And I know that, it, again, it's, it's, it's in how you define the terms, but I was like, that's not true. But but, really, but, but it is, for, from what's on the pen. They did go out on dates. I, yeah, te- technically there, but I have to agree with uh, Don on this one that I, I have a stronger meaning for the term myself and that I think he was right that she just kind of had whoever was on her arm at the time. And to tell you the truth, I wouldn't be surprised if you know Flash definitely made a huger deal out of this to the guys. Oh, probably. That's what I think. And in his own mind, I bet. My imagining of it is similar to John's in that they went out. Gwen was attracted to Flash early on. You can, you know, you can argue as much by looking at issue 31. You know, she's flirting with him. So she was interested. That interest quickly fizzled. They did things together. And maybe during those things, there'd be like kind of like a happy days moment or something where like he would put his arm around her shoulder and she'd be like, Flash, and like, you know, slap his arm or something. You know, I don't know. And they would still date, but Gwen clearly, you know, did not want anything more. Flash tried for something more. 
and eventually, you know, Gwen made sure that Flash understood that it was never going to be anything more, and maybe taking Harry to the party was part of sending that message, or maybe I'm just reading too much into that, but... You can never read too much into these things, and, <laughs> and even still, like, Gwen Stacy as a character, like, I, I think the one consistent trait of her is that she's pretty... I think she has a certain opinion of herself that she's not... Like, I, I, when you think back in, like, the, the, uh, the protest issues, where she, like, slaps that one guy... I think she sort of like, is sort of bigger on herself, so I don't see her like just decorating. I don't see her dating Flash Thompson if she feels so strongly against him, like we've seen in the last couple of issues during the Lizard arc. Well, I see it as like you know in the '90s animated series, Flash's relationship with Alicia in the first season. Um, like remember, your girl. Like you know, in, in previous episodes, they're clearly out on dates. Harry sees them, you know, and Flash is like, "Scram, Harry!" But like a few. <laughs> You know, Flash is like, making time with my girl. And then Felicia's saying, your girl. You know, I'm not anyone's girl. It's, it's You know what? That's very tricky. That's very tricky. Because I, I see, I agree with you with the 90s show. I don't necessarily agree with you here. But while I can't re- exactly explain why, it would I would be lying if I said that I, I, I would come to terms with that. I mean, on, I page eight, we, on page 8, we have Harry saying... Between my my Gwen and your Mary Jane, we really got it made. And Peter's saying, "Why do I get shook up when we, I hear him call her his Gwen?" I mean, well, that's, that's something to consider if, if we're talking about an era where uh, uh, Gwen and Flash, like, were you know. And see, yeah. by this point, I think is, I mean, we've been having this discussion ever since issue thirty, right? And here we are in issue forty-seven. So I think that by this point, Gwen and Flash have had their arc. They've had their relationship. And uh, or whatever it was that happened between them, and now Harry and Gwen are starting to see more of each other. And Peter's jealous because he likes Gwen, and that's why he's saying, "Why is it bothering me?" Whatever calls her his Gwen. And I think Harry's just overly excited about having a date with Gwen. It's his very first girlfriend, and she's really freaking hot. Yeah. Who he's had a crush on since high school. Right. Back True. whenever she wore those glasses, and oh wait. Yeah, that that happened. <laughs> I mean, and there's going to be things in the future, like when Flash comes back from the army for a visit, and like he says, are you trying to beat my time with Gwen? And Peter says, you never had any time to beat. Mm-hmm. You know, that goes in line with what MJ says to Harry in the drug arc, like, you know, I was never your girl. That doesn't mean that they didn't date, just means that, like, MJ didn't consider herself yeah. his girl. You know, Flash and Gwen did not kiss, they, you know, nothing but... They went out on things that, you know, were considered more than friendship, but not boyfriend and girlfriend, something in between. I mean, casual dating, and here's the reason why we're having this argument, too. Like, that type of dating, like, you know, and this is from somebody who's 25 years old, who wasn't alive during this time, but culturally, like, dating has changed. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, the whole, like, you know, casual dating has, you know, made, is gone. Like, it's, you know, you're, you're hooking up, you know, you're... When you're with someone, you're with someone. There's no just, like, you know, meeting them, you know, at the coffee bean, you know, and having a coffee and that's a date. Like, no, you know, that's... Or meeting somebody for lunch and then calling it a date at the last second. You wouldn't have a girl dating several guys at one time in this day and age because she'd be called names. Especially in high school. And you could do it in a high school, you know, and, you know, she can date multiple guys within a group of friends. I mean, and again, I wasn't around back then, but, I mean, I'm assuming from... This is going to sound so stupid, you know, like I'm losing like I'm losing credibility by saying this. But from what I've seen in like, you know, TV shows and movies and read in books from that era, that seems to be like, you know, how it went. You went out on dates with a girl and then eventually you would ask her the quote unquote go steady. 
And go no, that's what happened. That's what happened in Leave It to Beaver. That's what happened in Happy Days. I think that's that's the, that's what that's, that's what they would do. Whereas now we put that cart before that horse, and we we start the, you know, this person from social settings, and then you ask them to be your you know your one true devoted person. Yeah. I think now it all depends on on communication. Like I don't I don't I don't think Gwen and Flash were talking were communicating. I don't think they could in this day and age. I don't think they were like you know, like uh, on the phone with each other you know in between panels. She would go out. Yeah, I mean, really, we're just repeating our points now. Yeah, I think we've kind of come to an agreement. It's just perspective. So, I guess I mean I'll, I don't want to jump ahead of the host, but I mean I guess we're we're tabling this for now. Yeah, no, I I think we pretty much resolved it until until it comes up again, which probably won't. It will. The one thing I do want to say about this issue is, oh my effing god, the art. Oh yeah. Especially, I mean, when I think of John Romita, and I think of what he brought to this book, I think of Gwen's boobs. I mean, <laughs> oh, that's what and legs, and that panel of her dancing, and the way he draws her. Oh my God! And that's and Mary was... Jane is, I mean, the way her dress is cut, it's not as easy to you know follow the lines, but it's their dresses actually look very dicko to me, just because of the designs. It's very 60s. They're both yeah. very, very 60s. But I love this, the art in this book. Mary Jane's <laughs> expression whenever she realizes that Gwen has stopped passing out the burgers. That's always that, weird to me just because I've never seen her look so frosted. But it's, it's a very, very well done picture. And, and j- the random people at this party also look really good. The, mm-hmm. the one girl in the blue and purple with the, with the hoop earrings, she's in a couple of panels. And, you know, she's given as much detail as anybody else. And we have no clue who this person is. Right. The body language is all good. I mean, there's a lot of, like, like, um, there's, like, like when Flash gets smacked away, thwop, by Craven, like, you know, his hand's already, already bracing for the impact to hit the floor. Right. There's, there's a lot of really, really good stuff there. And <laughs> I can't, I can't help but think that this is done in the modern day. Like, Gwen and Mary Jane would just be, like, grinding on people. But, like, it is, it is really funny oh, to see Oh, God. No, that's, that's why I suggested that song. Just because, like, that, that's what I think. Because this is the time where, like, they, these were, like, the hottest um, people in Marvel Comics, I think. So, like, when you have, like, uh, these characters, like, just, like, kind of be loose and free and everything. Like that It's fun to watch, even though it's dated. And Stan's talked about it in interviews a lot. Like, it's a very famous story because he keeps on repeating it. That, you know, he wanted Gwen to be the one for Peter. But Mary Jane was just always so interesting. So he and the... So he and Ramita would try and make Gwen more glamorous and more exciting than Mary Jane, but it never seemed to work. And this whole thing where, like, you know, Mary Jane's dancing, but then, like, when Gwen is dancing, like, like tries to, like, emphasize Gwen more. I, I think that this is what Sam was talking about. I personally think it works. I think Gwen sounds out way more than Mary Jane in this issue. Mary Jane is a bit of a floozy in this entire book. <laughs> well, yeah. The whole thing is, you know, like, hey, guys, Gwen's awesome. Like, there's a bunch of guys like, Gwen, we all love you so much. Will you love one of us? After the party, then Harry comes, Gwen, I love you. And Peter's like, I wish Gwen loved me. Then Gwen's at the party dancing, and all the guys are like, wow, isn't Gwen awesome? We all love her. Are you trying to say she's a Mary Sue? (laughs) No. (laughs) Sure you are. I'm I'm just saying, like, you can see Stan, like, really trying here. (laughs) Well, that's that's the thing, because, like, we've said before on and off the air, I think, that um, this issue is the one issue that people just completely define this era 
with um, all this, all the main characters being showcased in one form or another, at the same time, you know, being all sixties and 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 dated, <laughs> and like it's interesting because it really is one of those issues you can hand off to anybody to get them started on the on the Spider-Man character, but it's seen as such a de- defined. That's, that's probably why Craven was a villain for the '96 annual, which took place not around this time, but like sort of had that that uh, mindset in mind. Right. Yeah, this, for some reason, this is just one of the bigger issues of Amazing Spider-Man that people remember and kind of think of when they think of classic Spider-Man. Exactly. Yeah, like in Spectacular Spider-Man issue 250, where Mary Jane's thinking of the good old days, and she opens up a photo album, and it's like, this. it is this party. Like, everyone's dressed in the same outfits. <laughs> like, everyone's like, and for some reason, like, you know, Betty Brandt's, like, in the picture with them. No sign of Ned Leeds, you know. He must I would love to see Betty Brandt, like, grind on Ned Leeds, try to make Peter jealous. Why is he looking at me? And like, like, just like, <laughs> have I really lost him for good? <laughs> <laughs> I need to see that now. <laughs> and the fight scenes are really good too. I think with the Spider-Man and Craven. Well, out of all the great things of this issue, I, I still think I, I'm going to. I still think Deadpool topped it. Like probably just because this is such a classic issue. I think that's why that one works so well. Yeah. Because, you know, it's a classic issue that pretty much everybody knows the plot line of. And although they left off, uh, you know, quite a... This, you know, having such a roughhouser like Deadpool trying to take over for Mild Man or Peter Parker is just kind of hilarious. Mm-hmm. Well, um, in Spider-Man Blue, it's interesting to note that, like, at the end of this issue, which... This oh, yeah. Is probably a- Blue. <laughs> I know where you're going. I'm sorry I interrupted Oh no 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 no! Because you know where I'm going. Like um, after all the all the fighting's been done, it's Valentine's Day, and Peter's like undressing because um, the party's at Peter and Harry's apartment, as opposed to like this random place, and like Peter has his shirt off in the sunlight or the moonlight and everything. And earlier in the issue, he gets a Valentine. He thinks it's from Aunt May, but like at the end of the issue, like Gwen says it was from him. So oh Peter, will you be my Valentine? And then like Peter kisses her. That's when you had me, Gwen Stacy. All of me, which really implies that they had sex. <laughs> because he's half naked when they're kissing, too. He was undressing. Right. And he says, all of me, which is, I think, yeah. Miles Davis Jessel. And then JMS said, like, not one or two years later and since past, me and Gwen never. We never, ever. Well, that was that was Casada's editing, right? Probably. Yeah. But, but, you know, even if we leave out the sex part, the, the idea is that Peter and Gwen hooked up at this point, and I'm not entirely sure... That's going to play out truly in the next few issues. Oh, they obviously didn't. You know, like, judging by the motorcycle ride in issue 50, please. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. yeah, no. I mean, that, that would imply they, they hook up at this issue. They don't hook up for, like, what, another 20 issues? 25? He's, yeah, he's still dating Mary Jane, like, you know, in between the panels and stuff. They don't hook up until, like, issue 53. Is- 53? Well, 53 would be right after the uh, the Kingpin story. That's yes, that's their, that's their first date. The doctor with chaperone Professor Warren. Yeah, we're gonna have fun with that one. So, <laughs> so Tim Sale completely pulled that out of his ass. In Spider-Man Blue, when they like do this, the version that they do is Craven's looking for Spider-Man, and at the beginning, Harry Bob borrows Peter's cologne. Oh yeah. And that's why Craven attacks Harry in this issue, not because he's after Osborne, but because he thinks Harry's Spider-Man because Harry smells like Spider-Man. Wow. Who else could smell like that? It has to be Spider-Man. It must be Spider-Man. He put Michael here in the first place. <laughs> yeah. But okay, now all joking aside about Betty and Ned's involvement in this story, it really feels weird that like Peter 
invited them to this thing. <laughs> like, but, like he, has, he has to bring his own friends. Like, well, Especially yeah, since it's Flash is going away party. Flash doesn't even get his own friends. But, you know, it's a big party. And it wouldn't be the first time or the last time that, fr- that friends you invite invite their own friends. That's true. And this, like, got me into deeper ruminations, which I've shared with you guys off the air before, about, like, you know... Spider-Man supporting cast, and like when stuff like this happens, it always feels like Ned and Betty seem more like chaperones. And I realized like when the Daily Bugle casts and the ESU cast, because there's you know Spider-Man supporting cast is divided into different worlds. And when the ESU cast and the Daily Bugle cast mix, it really feels weird. Like when J. Jonah Jameson had a party, you know, in the it was the Len Wine run. Right. And Flash Thompson is, like, at J. Jonah Jameson's house looking through his records. I'm thinking, why is Flash Thompson here? Just like, you know, why are Betty Branton... Now, granted, Betty and Branton Ned Leeds are going to have bigger ties to Flash Thompson in the future. But at this point, they don't. And that's, like, in Brand New Day, when, like, you know, there's that everyone hates Betty Brant issue. And she's crying because Harry Osborn didn't come to her birthday party. Like, <laughs> I remember reading that two years ago thinking, when have Betty and Harry given, you know, like... Two rats' asses about each other. Well, Part don't, of my... don't forget, um, Flash. Why weren't you at Marlon's funeral? Everyone was looking for you. <laughs> exactly. That's why that didn't work for me either. But it's like these. It's from two different worlds, you know. It's and sometimes the worlds will intersect when, like, Glory Grant dates Randy Robertson, or you know, Betty kind of crosses over once in a while when she dates Flash, you know. But otherwise. It's. Well, I, I just came to the conclusion that, like, the Daily Bugle world, like, you know. Ben Urich, you know, sharing a beer with Harry Osborn, you know, w- you know, would that seem right to you? No, it seems to drive. Well, it's because it's just like every character that you know of Spider-Man's universe has to know each other, or else it's, it's too confusing. That that's what the writer, like the writer Stanley here, thinks. Even though, but so that's why he has Ned and, and uh, Betty say, "Of course we know Flash Thompson." I mean, Ned doesn't know Flash Thompson, so <laughs> he's the issue star quarterback. I mean, like, what, what do you think, John? Do you think it's, like, just compliant, or, or does it work better for the story? Well, I do think it's weird to, to cross the streams on those sorts of things, especially from this era. And when you get to, like, the 80s and 90s, these people's lives have intersected enough times that they start to have their own relationships. Betty and Flash. Yeah, Betty and Flash, and that sort of thing. You, that becomes more believable. At this point, when you have those kinds of pinups... The only thing I can think of is, like, this is Peter Parker and all the different branches of his life. And I don't know about you, but whenever I have a get-together where different branches of my life come together, it's weird. Because, you know, you have three or four or six circles of friends that don't know each other. And to find out that some of them do is strange. And then to have a situation where they overlap... Like you know, a, a big birthday or wedding or something, then you, then you you have to sort of like float between the different cliques, and uh, so yeah, it is definitely strange. It's definitely odd when like you know you're you, you have the, the extended family get together and then you have a few of your uh, friends. Like that's why I can't imagine for Flash that it's you know awkward because yeah, he's seen Betty and they've hung out before, but yeah. really they don't know each other that well. As far as I'm aware, they haven't really spoken. They don't. They don't speak for the first time, and it's sad that I know this, but like I'm that OCD. The first time Betty and Flash talk to each other is the Hypno Hustler issue of Spectacular Spider-Man. Oh wow, that's which, a really long ways away. Which is issue twenty twenty four, I believe. Yeah, it's issue twenty four. Wait, yeah, wait, like, you mean Spectacular, right? 
like, I mean, they'll be in the same room together. They'll go to events for each other. Flash will go to Betty Brandt's wedding, but we won't see them on panel speaking to each other until the Hypno Hustler issue. Nice. Um, right. Is it retcon that they uh, talk before that? In Untold Tales, the Doctor Strange one shot, the only time in Untold Tales where they interact is like there's a group of people and Peter runs away for a Spider Man related thing. And like each person, like Jameson's there, Liz is there, Jason's there, like each person says something. And like Betty says a comment, that was strange. And then Flash says, even for Peter, which is like in response to what Betty says. So that's kind of a conversation. But that's OCD stuff that nobody cares about but me. Uh, that's not a conversation. <laughs> that's okay, well, I, just, I still think it's weird because, like, I mean, I don't know how much independence Flash has. I mean, we've never really seen his family life. At least, I okay, I'll, I'll take that back, Josh, before you uh, jump on me with the, you know, 13 details of times we have seen what his dad was like. His dad, his sister, his mom. At this point in the comics, though, we know nothing about Flash as a person. That is yeah. true. In my mind, when I was reading this, I thought that this was held at Flash's house, which would make sense for his going away party. That's really happy days. Flash lives above the Silver Spoon. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, an abandoned warehouse or something. Sla- slides down like the fireman's pole. <laughs> it was not the Copacabana. Well, I, I wanted to talk about that because like, this is, I mean, we, we said before, the Flash is going to come back pretty soon, frequently, but this is like the last time he's sort of like, I don't know, like, he's there every every issue. So I was wondering, like, if you think that Stan... Because we talked about how maybe Stan Lee was possibly going to write Ned Leeds off. If you wonder, like, what were the odds of Flash actually getting killed off in Vietnam? Something to none, probably, but... Oh, I, I don't believe there was any chance whatsoever. Yeah, because you, you don't want to kill off your supporting cast that easily. And Flash has never gone long enough for you to miss him. He comes right. back, and I think it's issue 52 is the next time we see him. We're on issue 47 right now, so what, five issues we're going to see him again? He never actually makes it to Vietnam. He keeps on flying, like, making half of the trip and then turning around and coming back. He got to the, like, airport, chickened out, and has been, like, you know, <laughs> hanging out, like, in the ESU library, hiding in, like, you know, some, like, section... And then, like, shows up every once in a while because, like, you know, he's too scared to tell everyone that, like, you know, he chickened out. Like, hey, guys, wow, the army's great. Yeah, and, you know, there was an Asian temple, you know, with warriors, and I met a girl named, um, what's a, what's an Asian name that sounds real? Shashan, yeah, her name was Shashan. Yeah, that sounds like <laughs> a real Vietnamese name. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, well, anyway, uh, back to Vietnam. See you guys later. I might die. You know, Gwen and Mary Jane, you might want to kiss me. Oh, yeah, I lied. Gwen does kiss Flash once, but it's when she's dating. Oh, yeah, no, that's actually the first time we see a full-on kiss in the title because – not to not to doom my argument, but she literally, like, like, like – I think Mary Jane kisses him, like, near the mouth, and Gwen's like, oh, well, let me show you how I kiss, and, like, totally, like, tongues him down before he yeah. leaves. <laughs> well, before we sort of start wrapping things up, I had a few continuity things I wanted to throw in there. We, we do see a very, very important first appearance in this issue. That I don't know if you realize was here, but um, Norman Osborn's secretary shows oh, yeah. up here. This is her her first of her many illustrious appearances, um, and by that I mean that she has one more in ninety six. All, all two of them. Yeah, and um, but she looks the same, so you know, good on continuity. Right, right. Her hair color is different, but that could be easily explained. The Goblin formula. Yeah, exactly. They uh, people keep saying in living color, like you know. Is that really you, son? I'm here, Dad, in living color. Well, and I just wanted to, cartoon. 
Yeah, exactly. I just wanted to point out that that's because this right now is when color television was becoming popular. The sales of color TV sets really exploded in 1966. The 66 to 67 TV season was the first that had all three of the major networks transmitting full color primetime programming. So um, when Star Trek started in 1966 as a color television show, that was the first year that ABC, NBC, and CBS were showing all color all evening. Well, it's funny because whenever they say in living color, as I said before, I I have black and white, so it's it's a dirty lie. As opposed to Masterworks. Yeah. But yeah, this was this was a great, great issue. One thing about this issue I thought was good was that um, this is this did a great job of showing that Norman Osborn can be a normal person. I mean, he's not stressing. He's not on the verge of a mental breakdown. He's he, just he, being he encourages a normal... Spider- uh, he, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but he encourages Spider-Man. Right. And it's just... it's just, You're never going to see Norman Osborn like this again. It, it's... One of the few times that he has been normal. Really, I think the last time, the next time you see him is like, or the next time, we, the next time that I can remember is like before he becomes the Green Goblin again, which is like when he gets starts to get agitated and the drug arc. But I know he does it before then. I just can't remember. There's some um, stuff, the subplot stuff that leads up to Spectacular Spider-Man, the Black and White magazine, which mm-hmm. the second issue was in color issue two, where like. He remembers being the goblin a little bit, and like, you know, Peter's nervous, oh boy, I hope he's not going to remember. There's him saving Gwen from the kingpin, and the brain, well, and then the brainwasher. The kingpin was the brainwasher, which supposedly, according to Marvel, like, that's the official Marvel stance, by the way, is that, like, that's when Gwen went to see him, and they, uh, conceived the Stacy twins. When, where does Marvel confirm that this is where Gwen Stacy had sex with Norman um, in one of the Marvel handbooks that they released that had bi- a biography of uh, either Gwen or one of her kids or something. You don't need to be a Bretonian to know the best side of continuity because, like, that – she, she did, did it in, in that story – wasn't that, like, around the time Harry was on drugs? Yeah, that's no. the thing is she, she flees to Paris right after that drug situation. Right. But she doesn't flee to Paris right after she's pregnant. But look, the pregnancy doesn't work for a lot of reasons that we'll get into when we get to that era. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In our hospital beds. This is what's going to happen. Eventually, a writer who loves Gwen so much is going to wreck Hansen's past. So none of this pregnancy stuff's going to matter. They're going to reveal that Mary Jane was like brainwashed or given a post-hypnotic suggestion, so she really doesn't remember the conversation that she thought she heard. Sarah Stacy's actually that original Gwen clone that's still running around, and Gabriel Stacy's some reject clone. The end. Of an attempt of uh, Warren, of, you know, Professor Warren's of experimentation um, phase. Spider Island be this whole thing of like sarah stacy like i must find that gwen stacy clone she's the only link to my mother and then like she's like it's basically her chasing her tail like around the world like i keep on finding these signs of the gwen stacy clone but i'm always one step behind her (laughs) oh my (sighs) god i am her no (laughs) i i hope i'm not being redundant because i feel like we've said this on the podcast before but i can't imagine when but it just in case to include it in here Don's mentioned before that, like, this issue 47, this is, like, what everybody imagines every issue of the Ramita era to be like. Yeah, I think we talked about that. It was just the art and the social setting and everyone all together in one place having a good time. And there's so many iconic images in this particular issue 
people you know just stretch it out to, to like the, the whole area. Is that like like this is not like the conventional Gwen Stacy design though? This is not like you know when you think of Gwen Stacy, you don't think of like her looking like this, which is kind of that's funny. true. You're right. She doesn't have a headband. She doesn't, she headband, does. she doesn't have like she doesn't have like the long, she doesn't have the straightened out hair. A lot of times when I when I see like like the good old days, they look more like, they resemble more of their designs in the in the Conway run where they dress more like the '70s style. Like I'll, I'll see pictures with them and like Ned Leeds looks completely different. Uh, Gwen and Peter and, and and they're all like uh, dressed different. And for some reason Liz is there. <laughs> right, Liz and Gwen never met, unless someone's gonna recon that they were bestest friends, like you know, or something. But they never met. Oh yeah, and it turns out her dad wasn't actually, you know, Betty Brant's estranged father. That her dad was actually also a police commissioner, and that they played together all the times when they were best friends. But when she's really drunk, she's gonna go out and get a tattoo of Norman Osborn. Or just the Molten Man. <laughs> the Molten Man. <Yeah. laughs> Liz, I've done a bad thing. I got a tattoo of your dead, bro- of your like, you know, of your weirdo brother. But yeah, lots of people think that, you know, the whole soap opera and the whole like gang cutting it up happened more often than it does. And the whole Gwen versus Mary Jane thing, which really for the most part is going to stop after the brainwasher story. Like, I'm not going to say it stops for good because there's going to be like, you know, MJ's going to make a play for Peter during the drug tr- storyline. And there's going to be one or two catty comments between Gwen and MJ around that period. But otherwise, people like. <laughs> People think that, like, the MJ and Gwen rivalry was, like, this thing, like, up until Gwen died. I've seen interviews with Spider-Man writers who actually say, when you killed off Gwen Stacy, you ended the Betty-Veronica dynamic, which defined the book. Defined the book? No, not at all. Ended the dynamic, which, like, you know, wasn't even, like, you know, which had already ended prior to that. Like, really? When and there's some, there's some large swaths of issues that come where Mary Jane is completely absent. I have a wizard Spider-Man special from the 90s where, like, that said, among other things, like, that I, I actually count the continuity errors in that thing. Around that time, Mary Jane and Gwen were, like, both worried about Harry. Like, they, they, they didn't have any time to be catty towards one another over Peter. So in the ads this month, we have a page of more Marvel masterpieces now on sale with Thor 138, continuing the battle of Thor and Ulick for the life of Jamie Alexander. That's supposed to be funny. Because Jamie, <laughs> Alexander, sorry, Jamie Alexander played Sif in the Thor movie, and that's who they're battling for. But never mind. It's okay. Uh, I, I did not know that her, her actress name was Jamie Alexander. <laughs> it's too soon. Good one, John. <laughs> Thanks, you son of a... Also... <laughs> Marvel Collector's Item Classics 8 with reprints from the Fantastic Four, Iron Man from Tales of Suspense, Doctor Strange from Strange Tales, and of course the Incredible Hulk. And Tales of Suspense 88 where Cap is up against the Swordsman and the first Power Man with a menacing mystery villain who turns out to be the Red Skull. And Cap actually leaves the Avengers for a while to deal with the events in these stories and their aftermath. And you can hear the issue discussed on episode 33 of the Mighty Shield, the Captain America podcast, in the year 2014. Woo! Don't miss it. The Bullpen Bulletins page brings us a batty barrage of bombastic bulletins bursting with a bipartisan banter, barefaced banality, and unabashed bull. The word is in. The Marvel Superheroes cartoon is a hit. 
Some stations are running it prime time every day. Some are running it three times a week. Some are running it in the after school time slots. But the prime time ratings show it doing very well. Unless, of course, Stan is lying through his teeth. Stan would never do a thing like that. And personally, I think to say that some stations are running it only three days a week instead of five, and others are shunting it to the after school hours, does not necessarily mean that it's actually doing well. But that's just me. (laughs) And then after our customary ad for Marvel clothes and stationery, we have the spider's web. There is the usual gushing over the latest issues involving the rhino and the lizard. The letter I want to read, though, is from Gerard Adonizio of Medford, Massachusetts. He is currently a psychiatrist working out of New York Presbyterian Hospital in White Plains, New York. But when he was in his teen years, he wrote the following. Is it creepy that I find all these people in real life and what they're doing and where they are? Absolutely. (laughs) You're crossing that line, John. Dear Stan and John, while thumbing through a Brand Eck comic, I came across something that infuriated me. Some orange-faced character belonging to a uh, group of super boobs had just finished tying up a monster with his web after turning into a spider. He then said, in case a certain web-headed character thinks I'm stealing his thunder, I'd like to remind him that I was changing to all sorts of weird shapes long before he walked up his first wall. As you know, he was referring to your own Spidey. You fellas usually make your Brandeck references in a good-natured, half-kidding way, and you've never actually pinpointed any competitive mag or character. But they are getting nasty. I think you should really let them have it. I've never written before when I saw that statement. I just had to. Your comics are the greatest. Is there any point in these letters where they actually come out and say DC? Not at this point in history, no. But that was a DC comic. That was a reference to Adventure Comics number 350, which was November 1966 cover date, which means it had just come out whenever he wrote that letter and they printed it here. Superboy. Uh, The tale that will stun the world, the Legionnaires kick out their buddies, Superboy and Supergirl. It was a story called The Outcast Superheroes and the Legion of Superheroes story. And Chameleon Boy is the orange-faced character belonging to the group of superboobs who does turn into a spider to be the bad guy and does exactly what Dr. Adonizio said he did. I thought these are all highbrow people, like Dr. Adonizio and like Professor this person. <laughs> but next ish, if you think you've seen the last of old Killjoy Craven, forget it. Much to Spidey's regret, we're in far more maddening menace from our Herculean hunter. Ah, but that's only the part of the Titanic thrills in store for you. After an absence of many months... One of the greatest, most memorable of all supervillains returns to prove once again that, just when you think mighty Marvel has reached the absolute pinnacle of perfection, we can always come up with something even more sensational, namely, the Vicious Vulture. (laughs) When you see the way Vulture comes alive via the inspired artwork of Ringading Ramita, you'll want to stand up and cheer. He almost looks like a different person! (laughs) But you'll be too weak from worrying about poor Petey's perilous predicament. Oh, and in case we forgot to mention, Spider-Man number 48 has more hard-hitting, fast-paced action panels than you could dare hope for. All in all, Web Spinners, our next dish is a bell ringer, and we ought to know we're the ones who did it. So hang loose, gang, in our book, your heroes all. Also, Gwen gets a new hairdo. 
Have you noticed how Stanley has a much better idea of what's coming down the pike now that Ramita's on the book? Yes. Because they're on the same page. They're not, they're not warring over politics. If you think we've come up with all the new villains that we can, what do you see the new villain that we'll show you next issue? Dr. Octopus. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's it. He's shown us every villain we can. <laughs> and that wraps us up, I think. Tyler, I want to thank you very much for being on the show. You have been great. I want to thank you a bunch for allowing me to be on the show. Um, getting to cover, you know, such a classic issue, literally, um, and telling, you know, pretty much how it's affected Deadpool and all that. It's just then the fact that you guys are one of the, the best podcasts that I listen to. You're on the top of my uh, to listen list whenever it comes out. Aw. Go ahead and tell the listeners again where they can find you on the internets. Okay. If you want to find me on the interwebs. I do Of Mercs and Mutants, which is a show all about Deadpool, and we're getting into a more frequent state now where we're going to try to come out once a month, pretty much every month. So you should give that a listen. I'm also on Teenage Wasteland after the uh, two useless bums of hosts realized they need somebody who could actually liven up the show. Right. Where I steal the spotlight and sing of Ultimate Spider-Man's glories and how awesome it is and how much i look forward to the two reboots almost two episodes in a row pretty much <laughs> at that point and last but not least i am also on from yellow to red a daredevil podcast with johnny freiberg and that is turning out to be a really fun show i really just agreed to it because you know i thought it'd be fun covering some character from the beginning but daredevil is really fun to read between matt having to run the law firm after Foggy gets injured, and then Foggy's saying to Karen that the only thing that makes Matt a great lawyer is his cold and emotional, unemotional um, heart. <laughs> I'll have this giant frown on his face because he didn't visit him in a hospital. I mean, you don't... That, that's It's something you don't quite get in any other book as far as I've really seen, besides maybe some Spider-Man, but... Uh, I mean, it doesn't really quite take to... You know, there are times when everybody in Daredevil's supporting cast literally hate him and want you know, and wish Matt would just leave. Right. And we just finished up our last yellow episode recording it. So hopefully this and that should come out about the same time. It didn't take you long to get yellow to red. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Our next episode is one I'm actually looking forward to. We're going to have a orange episode where we're going to cover two different versions of the origin um, retold recently. We're going to cover Daredevil Yellow and Daredevil Father. One that's, you know, pretty good and one that's just plain horrible. Alrighty. Well, thanks again, Tyler. I will be seeing you soon in the Ultimate Universe. Uh, yeah. I can't wait for that. I'll see you on Earth One. Is that even going to have any relevance now because of the reboot? JMS is still doing it. It, was actually, it was actually a test pilot for uh, the reboot kind of thing. They wanted that to that announced? Really? Yeah, he said so. Oh, I think somebody's pulling stuff out of their arse, but, you know. If you are listening and have thoughts on the episode or on the issues we are discussing, please write us an email at AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com, and we will read your comments on the air and talk about you behind your back, but in front of you. You can also leave comments on the show's posting at SpidermanCrawlspace.com or at the show's own website of AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com, where you can also download the episodes individually. You are welcome to subscribe to the show through iTunes, where you can also leave a review, which always makes us happy. 
And finally, I invite you to visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Amazing Spider-Man Classics. No hyphen, no spaces, of course. Like that page to receive notices of new episodes, interact with the show hosts, and just generally have a good time. Next episode, Donovan, Josh, and I will be going it alone again. That's right here on Amazing Spider-Man Classics in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. Thank you for listening. Good night. thing oh yes all right hold on hold on my uh my waitress is here it's all right okay every time it does this it makes me hungry we need to all do this at denny's next time we should all do it from separate denny's yes at San Diego, we should like, record okay. something like eat there okay well I'll, i probably will be ordering dessert later though so don't uh so don't catch i think when we're done i'm gonna go to ihop and get a belgian waffle okay thank you all right all right, I'm back to the world. Oh, God. Okay, hold on. I'm your only friend. I'm not your only friend, but I'm your little glowing friend. But really, I'm not actually your friend, but I am. Is that a one of your soundtrack song? That's, um, They Might Be Giants, Birdhouse in Your Soul. I still like, uh, And I Got It, The Vita by, uh, Iron Butterfly, best, at, best song written on acid ever. <laughs> 17 minutes long, if you don't know. Wow. That's a song. I can't think of that song without thinking of that Simpsons gag. Yes. yes. In the carnival. And I love how the organist, like, just faints at the end. I, I like how the uh, preacher at the very end goes, hmm, this might be rock and roll. Hey, rock and or roll. Okay. You uh, promised Amanda. I wonder which one of those two girls Tyler's more interested in. Uh, apparently she heard, like, the first time I sent in my, uh, pseudo-voicemail that I emailed you guys a voice file of. Oh, yeah, with your sister. Yeah. Apparently she found that hilarious, and I'm waiting for her to get to the email, because, to tell you the truth, I forgot I sent that in. And mm-hmm. when I heard it, I kind of laughed again. So I'm hoping she has a similar reaction. I love that email. That was funny. <laughs> it, was good, it was a good one. I just heard Don. Oh, my gosh. John, I know you're, uh, great for doing these, uh little explanations of who people were. I was half expecting... I, I almost wanted to say something about, you know, aren't you going to explain who Yogi Bear is? Oh. Mm. Wow. I mean, I'm having fun, but this episode is going to be a lot longer than I thought it would. Yeah, no. We, you, you, you might have split this up into like two episodes. I might. I apologize for being so awesome. <laughs> I mean, like, what, what do you think, John? Do you think it's, like, discompliant, or, or does it work better for the story? 
Can I lost track of what we were talking about? Like, so, like the, the differentiations. But the, the are, 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 you, are you getting are you getting tired, John? No, I just I was just kind of letting y'all talk, and uh, okay. I, I stopped paying a little bit of attention. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I was I'm kind of on the same boat, John. Where I'm, you're afraid if you talk, you'll throw them off their groove. Yeah, exactly. Sex. <laughs> <laughs>